Well, good day, everybody, and welcome to the extras. Good day. How you going? Very good. My name is Mike, and I'm Sam, and we are here to answer your questions from Sunday and to think harder and deeper about Colossians chapter three. Yeah, Sam, you've been preaching through Colossians for us, mate. Thank you so much for your work. Pleasure. Um, I've loved it. Yeah, yeah. Now we kind of hit a bit of a, a kind of a big turning point, almost the halfway point of Colossians. Yeah. Colossians chapter three, verses one. We went all the way down to fourteen. Mm. For those who uh, missed it, what did we miss on Sunday? Um, Colossians chapter three. Paul wants to sort of move from the identity that is established for us as now now that we're united with Christ, and show us how with that new identity that the Christian has of being having died with Christ and having risen with Christ, um, fully connected to Jesus, how that's going to play out in life. And uh, he uses the image of, um, well, we use the image on Sunday night of a uniform, um, that, that there's, a, there's a way to now clothe ourselves. And for the Christian, it's not so much the physical clothes we wear, but the behavior that we put on um, and, and the behavior that we put off um, from our old life, which is no longer appropriate for us, the things we're to put to death, we're to, we're to kill sin and to, to not have any, any part with it anymore um, and put on in its place the new life that is just like God and uh, we're to be like our God uh, in the way that we live. And yeah, that, that's where Colossians go. So it, it gets um, very real, very kind of um, down to earth as to what living the Christian life looks like. Mm. And a lot of the questions that we got actually from Sunday are really trying to tease out what that looks like, um, right? which is really exciting that people are trying to wrestle with this. Um, yeah. And you said from verse 5, we'll kind of start in verse 5 if you've mm. got your Bibles open out there, um, that we need to kill, we need to put sin to death, not just kind of put it to the side or just kind of... Um, uh, you use some other lovely expressions of uh, what not to do. Yeah, we don't want to tame it. We don't want to put it on a leash. Nice. We don't want to um, pretend, cover it up. Yeah. Yeah. We, we want to kind of want to kill it. Kill it. Um, and uh, you said that uh, that the sins in verse five, which start with sexual sexual immorality and uh, go on to talk about uncleanness and evil's desires, and mm. uh, and then the word greed appears in the list, and you said. Greed may not be what we think it means ordinarily. It might be actually a greed for more sex. Yeah. Um, so we had a question about uh, how did you get that? How do you get that? <laughs> yeah, sure. Thanks. Good question. Um, I mean, certainly the Bible has all sorts of things to say about financial greed. Um, Jesus uh, talks about money. You can't serve both God and money. Um, either you'll be greedy for one or greedy for the other. You, you, you can choose one, serve, serve that. So the Bible has lots to say about financial greed. The question is, is Colossians chapter 3 talking about financial greed? Um, if it is, it, it comes as a bit of a standalone. Because if you look at that li- that list, um, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, the, the, the things that are going on there um, seem to have a sexual connotation yeah. to them. Um, also, if you dig into the to the language behind it, the, the word that Paul has chosen for greed there has this sense of, uh, has a slightly sexual overtone on it in the way that it's often used. Um, one of the ways that you can sometimes solve that out is go and look at how the word is used elsewhere. And um, interesting, Colossians, Colossians is kind of like a mirror letter to Ephesians. Um, and it's a wonderful exercise to do to compare the way that 
Colossians works and the way that Ephesians works. And often if you're trying to work something out in Colossians, go and have a look at, at what Ephesians says. And right. uh, they, they, they mirror each other a lot in the way that they work. And in Ephesians chapter 4, um, similar section, um, Paul in 4.17 um, of Ephesians uh, talks about, it's, it's, it's the whole new life bit and live out your identity. Um, and, uh, uh, sorry, 4.19 he talks about the old life and he says, having, having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, there's the same word as, as Colossians, mm. with a continual lust for more. And, and the idea there is, is a continual greed or lust. Uh, there's this sort of sexual connotation behind a desire of wanting more and more and more and more. And that can often be the way it works with sexual sin, um, that uh, enough is never enough and you keep going and going and want more and more and more. Um, that's often the way with lots of sins, but yep. often particularly with, with sexual sin. And I think what Paul has his focus on in Colossians chapter 3 is uh, that sexual sin in the old life um, often has that kind of greediness to it that you just keep wanting more and more and more of it. And Paul's point is that's of the old life, so kill it and put it to death. So we can know that greed has a sexual connotation here because of kind of the context within Colossians, perhaps the the word in the original and also the context in the rest of the New Testament that's in parallel to that's Ephesians. It. That's it. But again, I want to say, absolutely, the Bible has lots to say about financial greed. And we've got to be careful um, of that too. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's also part of the old life and we're not to have that. It's just here yeah. um, in verse 5, that's not the focus. Yeah, nice, nice. Now, you made the good point uh, on Sunday that uh, uh, part of what we're trying to do as Christians today in light of Colossians 3 is to live out the Christian life kind of as it will be lived in heaven. Mm. Um, that's part of setting our hearts and minds on things above where Christ yep. is seated. Yep. And so you made the point that sexual immorality is something that's not going to be in heaven as mm. no sin will be in heaven, which is awesome. <laughs> Can't yep. wait. Uh, the question that came though, is sex itself mm. going to be in heaven? That's a really good question. Um, and the short answer is I don't know the answer. Um, and you've got to be careful about um, trying to say more about things than what the Bible says. Mm. Um, the Bible paints some beautiful pictures of heaven, um, but it doesn't talk particularly about sex. Um, sex in, in and of itself is not a problem, and I don't think it would be a problem if sex was in heaven, um, given that sex was part of God's good created order back in the Garden of Eden. And um, one of the sort of images of the Bible is, is, is as we've... Um, the, the fall happened from Eden. We were expelled from the garden, expelled from perfect relationship with God. There's this movement of how will God restore Eden and return us back to that place of perfect relationship with him and with each other. Now, if sex was present in Eden and it was good, uh, then there's no particular reason to say that um, sex couldn't conceivably be in the new creation in mm. heaven mm. Um, because sex in, in and of itself is a good thing, a good mm. gift from God. Mm. Now, um, the, the one passage that sort of makes you think, well, I'm not sure whether or not that will be the case, is Matthew chapter 22, where some of the Sadducees, um, some of Jesus' sort of opponents in his earthly ministry, come to Jesus to, to question him. And it's a bit of a trap question. They're trying to trick him in Matthew 22. And the big problem for the Sadducees is they don't believe in the resurrection. And so they're trying to um, sort of push Jesus on that issue. And uh, they come to him in, in Matthew 22, verse 23, and they pose this question about a, a hypothetical man who dies leaving behind a widow 
and they say, look, in, under Jewish law, it's the, it's the the man's brother's responsibility to take her as his wife. And what happens if he takes her as his wife? She's now had two husbands, um, and then that, that guy dies, and then the next brother, and seven brothers hmm. each. Just terrible run of luck, really, in the family. <laughs> um, and they all have, they all take this woman in, in sort of obeying God's law, and she's married to all of them, and that's okay in, in, in the sense that each one has died and the next one has taken her in as in, in order to love her and look after her. And then they say, well, look, if that's the case, whose wife would she be in the resurrection? Which they don't believe in. Which they don't believe the in. And so their point is yeah. not, their question is not really about marriage. marriage. They're trying to cause Jesus to stumble over the resurrection. And Jesus knows that and he gets it and he, and he says to them, look, you, you don't even know the scriptures. You don't know the power of God. He's talking about the, the resurrection there in, in 22, 29. Um, and he makes this one little comment in verse 30 that Jim would be lovely to pick his brain on and find out mm-hmm. more about what he means. We but will one day. What he says is, <laughs> at the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. And then he goes on to rebuke them on the resurrection. And the rest mm. of his argument has to do not with marriage and who, marriage in heaven, but the resurrection. So the question is, what does that little verse there um, mm. in verse 30 mean? Um, not marrying or being given in marriage. Um, some people say that therefore there's no marriage in heaven, yep. at which point there'd be no sex in heaven. Yep. Um, and that may be the case. Um, or it may be that there's no new marriages in heaven. Um, the old ones continue. The old ones earth. may continue, but yep. the, the, there are no new ones that happen. Um, what it means that we're going to be like the angels that's a great question. Um, I'm, I'm, yep. I'm not fully sure of the answer, to be honest. Um, so there, there's, there's something there, but Jesus really tangentially touches on it as he's trying to talk about the resurrection. And um, so what's the short answer? If there is no sex in heaven, some people think, truth, that's not the place I want to go. Um, hmm. Partly though that, I think that reveals that what, what we're talking about on Sunday is that we often have an idol of sex and mm. we think that sex is the most important thing and therefore, if there's somewhere where there's no sex, I don't want to be part of it. God would only make a place uh, with no sex if, if the, it was because the place he was making was better. better. Um, and that would be because we're in a more intimate relationship with him. And uh, Yeah, so um, I, I don't think that you're going to get to heaven and be disappointed, I no think is the, is the bottom line. Yep. Um, I think if you get there and there is no sex or no marriage or whatever, we're going to go, oh my gosh, God is so wise and so good in the way that he set this place up. Isn't this wonderful to be here? Awesome, awesome. Okay, thank you. Uh, dropping down to verse 10, uh, it talks about we've put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Uh, we've got a question, Sam. What does it mean to be renewed in knowledge? Yeah, it's a little... We've talked about this a couple of times, I think, um, through the uh, on the way in Colossians. I didn't mention it much on Sunday, um, but Colossians has this idea that... Um, Knowledge is the beginning of, well, pretty much everything in the Christian <laughs> life. Um, yeah. Certainly the beginning of, of saving faith. Um, it's also the beginning of, of transformation and change. Um, and the idea is that um, you, you receive knowledge of God and who he is, um, which then Paul's, you remember back in Paul's prayer in chapter 1, the, the idea is that um, he gives thanks that you've got knowledge and then he prays that God would grow you deeper in knowledge so that you could know God better. And there's this sort of, we've been talking about a virtuous cycle there that knowledge leads to knowledge leads to knowledge and growing in your knowledge of God is is, is wonderful um, and as you get to know God better as you get to know what he's done for you as you get to know who he's made you to be in Christ uh, that 
play that's going to play out in um, in, in Colossians chapter three land in a uh, transformation moving from the inside out. And we, we talked about that pattern on, on Sunday that it be, transformation begins on the inside and moves outward. So it's, it begins with setting your mind on things above. There's a knowledge aspect to that. Setting your hearts on things above. Um, and then it plays out in how you clothe yourself and how you what you put to death and, and, and that kind of stuff in terms of your behavior. So the renewing in knowledge means that as you know God and you know who you are, um, that will that that will change you. It's, it's the same language as um, Romans chapter twelve. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, do not be tra- uh, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's a similar that's sort of thought. That's the same kind of idea. The transformation begins with the mind, as you know God and you know yourself and you know the gospel, um, and then God changes you from the inside out. And so we keep reading our Bibles. We do um, to help us to renew that mind to grow yeah, in our knowledge of it. God so that we can change that's it we talked about Psalm 119 on Sunday yeah um, looking at that idea of kind of hiding the word of God in our heart that we that we may not sin against him lovely image lovely and hopefully this is helping you do that as well this podcast you know yep. as we keep wrestling with God's word we're hopefully growing in knowledge but not just so that we're smarter mm. but so that we are changing mm. Okay, verse 11, interesting little phrase. Uh, Christ is all and in all. So mm. kind of two questions. Uh, what, what do both of those little bits mean? What does it mean that Christ is all and what does it mean that Christ is in yeah. all? Yeah, so um, one thing to note at the start of verse 11 is the here, um, which is the, sets the sort of parameters for what Paul is talking about. And you've got to ask, what is, the, what is the here? He says, here there is... No Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. The here, I think, is um, in the realm of... Paul's just been talking about all the things you are to do to one another, um, and it's, which I think has the focus on uh, Christian brothers and sisters. Mm. Often when the Bible talks about one another, it's talking about one another in the faith. Um, mm-hmm. and, and there, here, in that realm, um, there's no none of the... Um, None of the earthly distinctions continue anymore. Um, you don't treat someone, a brother or sister in Christ, based on their nationalistic background or their racial background or their whatever. And often that's the way the world treats one another, um, based on their, their background, and they treat people from, from uh, the same background better than they would treat someone from another background. Um, Paul says here in the church that's not to be the case. Uh, we are... Christ is in them I think it, uh, he says Christ is all and is in all so as you look at someone else you, you would say well Christ is in them so I should treat them as if <laughs> Christ is in them um, Christ is all that's a really hard little phrase um, mm. and it's, it's tricky I, I think it means Christ is all that really matters um, that, that, the, that matters. The, the background doesn't matter anymore the, the, the distinctions that would otherwise divide you don't matter Christ is the only thing that matters and mm. they're in Christ and Christ is in them mm. treat them appropriately okay okay great uh, verse 12, as we think about what we're to clothe ourselves with as God's chosen, holy, beloved people, mm. um, one of the characteristics that we're to dress in is gentleness. Yeah. And uh, the question has come in, kind of, what is gentleness? Uh, is it just being a quiet person, perhaps reserved or calm? Is, is gentleness a personality trait that you're kind of born with? Or Help, help me understand gentleness, Sam. 
very few of the things we're to clothe ourselves in come naturally as personality traits. That's the whole point that Paul mm-hmm. says you need to clothe yourself in it, um, put it on, <laughs> because it's often not naturally there. Now, uh, and more to that, I don't think that gentleness um, is, is here, is Paul saying, have this personality trait. This is a behavior that you choose. Now, what is gentleness? Um, it's a hard word to define. I think that maybe a simple way to define it, though, is to say that it is... Um, it could be someone with strength who um, holds back on that strength, who who um, doesn't use it completely. Um, the image that I have in my mind as I think of that word is this is famous photo of a, of a sumo wrestler kind of um, taking on this little five-year-old boy and sumo wrestler with all that strength and clout and, and power. Um, but as he wrestles the child... Um, he does wrestle him, but he's, he's gentle, mm. and, he, and, he, and he doesn't use all his strength and all his power. Um, but and he do, and he makes that decision for the sake of the other, um, because if he were to use all of his power, he would crush them. Um, and I think that's the idea here that um, that as because it's in the context of one another, be gentle with one another. Mm. Um, we our goal is not to crush and hurt other people, but to be gentle with them, and to sometimes that will mean holding back on your natural um, personality type and, and, and um, taking charge of yourself, um, which is sort of the theme through Colossians. You're to, you're to set your mind and set your heart and uh, put to death. And you, you, there's things that you, you actually have control. And sometimes our culture says, no, no, this is just who I am. I can't change. I can't, I'll always be like this. Um, Colossians says, no, that's not the case. Um, there mm-hmm. are things that you can put to death and there are things that you can put on. And so chase gentleness, um, which doesn't mean get weaker and become um, less um, powerful or, or strong or whatever you are in your personality, but that you would choose at points to, for the good of others to speak kindly and to be um, nice to them or gentle with them uh, rather than crushing them. Um, yeah, I mean, so so you might be a person who's perhaps a, a loud person, a strong personality, um, mm. someone, um, but you're saying that's okay. It's mm. how you use your you mm. know, extroversion or your your confidence. Um, mm. You can use it in a way that's actually crushing to other people, yeah, or in a way that's gentle with other people. And it's actually going to help them. Yeah, that's um, exactly right. And so that's what we need to chase. Yeah no matter our natural personality. Yeah, and I think for me, um, I sometimes uh, I can be quite confident and I can be quite um, self-assured that I know what the answer is. And one of the things that I've tried to work on in gentleness is to be a better listener um, so that so that even though if I think on the first sort of 30 seconds of talking to someone that I know what the issue is and I can say it to them, <laughs> actually that's often not very gentle and, so, and often I can be quite wrong. Um, and to be gentle sometimes means listening to someone so that you can fully understand and get where they're coming at and then speak to them in light of that. Um, restraining what might be what might come naturally to me, which is to speak and to dive in and say something, but actually to hold back and to listen and to treat that person with, with gentleness. Mm. Terrific. Hey Sam, we've got one more question, which is, um, it's a helpful question, slightly tangential, but as mm. I said, very, very helpful. Uh, so let me read it to you. Um, could you also say when the Bible says not to get drunk, that, that that can come into these sins that we're talking about from Colossians? Because when you're drunk, you're not in control of your body, which is right, so it's more easy to commit sexual sin and slander and filthy words. Um, 
and so drunkenness is dangerous and very mm. unhelpful in this context. Uh, it's kind of a question, uh, comment, uh, and it's right, mm. um, even though Colossians doesn't talk about drunkenness. This is a helpful comment, isn't it, Sam? It is. Um, again, I mean, this is quite a helpful one in that we can reinforce the link between Colossians <laughs> and Ephesians. And Ephesians, yeah. Um, and if you go over to this section in, in Ephesians, you get a, a more extended treatment of the kind of ideas of what you're to put off and what you're to put on. And uh, uh, one of the things that once you get to chapter 5 of Ephesians, um, chapter 5 verses 17 and 18, um, Paul says, Therefore don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And he says, Don't get drunk on wine which leads to debauchery, instead be filled with the Spirit mm. so that you can speak to one another in psalms, hymns and spiritual songs, uh, which is exactly the same language of Colossians in mm. um, Colossians 3. 3, 16 and 17. Yeah. So it, it really is kind of sort of smack bang in the same section that we're dealing with and Paul makes this point that actually drunkenness leads to debauchery. And so uh, when are you most likely to commit sexual immorality? When you're drunk. Mm. Um, when are you likely to do... Um, yeah, slanderous things and yeah, filthy, uh, words. filthy words. They're more likely to come out when you're drunk because they because one of the great virtues that um, the Bible upholds for Christians is self-control. Mm. And alcohol, by its very nature, is something that impedes self-awareness, self-control. Um, and it, yeah, it, it, that's why you're not. That's why we're not meant to drive when we've had too much to drink because you don't have that control and that alertness and that your reflexes are lower and everything um, alcohol Im- impedes them as a, as a depressant and as a um, it's not a stimulant um, in, in terms of a drug and so yeah it, it, it's, it's a right point and Paul's makes this lovely little kind of um, parallel he's like don't get drunk on spirits but be filled with the spirit, yeah, spirit it, yeah. it's sort of um, that the Holy Spirit that when he comes into the believer when he's in you um, in, in the driver's seat if alcohol's in the driver's seat alcohol will lead to debauchery and sin because of lack of self-control when the spirit is in you and in control um the fruit of the spirit is love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness there's that word again yeah and self-control and so the spirit if you're looking for the work of the spirit in your life sometimes people look for miraculous stuff and they look for speaking in tongues and the spirit has power to do all those things but that's not the not the image that the bible gives us over and over again if you're looking for the spirit it's that there's self-control um, mm. And so, yeah, uh, steer away from drunkenness and uh, be very mindful of it. I think there's, um, if you're in that sort of uh, teenage, sort of young adult segment where um, going to parties and having too much to drink is the cultural norm, and actually I shouldn't just say to teenagers and young people, that can be the same when you're 50 and it's a long lunch and it's much more civilised, but there's <laughs> simply too much alcohol. Yep. Um, it doesn't have to be a trashy teenage party to, to be <laughs> sinful. Um, it can be just as sinful at a nice hotel with too many yeah. bottles of wine ordered. Yeah. And uh, the, 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 the problem is not God's good gift of alcohol. No. Uh, the, the problem there is too much of it, um, which leads to a lack of self-control, which leads to sin. So be very careful. Um, I, my personal rule of thumb is that um, if I've had too much that I can't drive, I've probably had too much that I can't um, honour God as I should. Mm. And so... Um, yeah, I, I, that's my sort of rule of thumb that I, that I would not ever have so much alcohol that I can't drive because if I can't, I mean, handling a car is nothing compared to handling the temple of the Holy Spirit that, that, that I have that is my body. Mm. And uh, if, I, if I'm not <laughs> okay to hold, handle a car, then how could I 
yeah, live, live my life in a way that honors Jesus. Helpful. Hey, thanks, mate. Thanks for uh, taking us through those questions, and thank you everyone for asking those questions. Yeah, keep them coming. Um, because we do want to keep being renewed in the knowledge of God, and this is really helpful. Mate, where are we heading this week? We're picking up uh, from Colossians 3 at verse 15, is that Correct. right? Correct, yeah, verse 15, we pick it up, and we're going all the way through to 4 verse 1. Yep, Correct. And uh, really the big thrust, I mean, we're continuing on looking at the, the new life, um, and we're going to move from the Christian's life in amongst their Christian family uh, into the Christian's life within their, their own family, their, their, their earthly family, and how to, um, how to conduct themselves there. And so, yeah, we're dealing with, and again, it's, it's interesting, there's, it's a, there's a mirror here between Colossians and Ephesians. Um, but yeah, we're going to be thinking about marriage, we're going to be thinking about parenting, we're going to be thinking about work, uh, and how it is that, we, that our Christian life plays out in those arenas not to be missed folks some really really important parts come along here you'll get to hear Sophia Russell giving her slant on uh, what it means to be a wife who submits to a husband that's yeah. going to be worth hearing I reckon because uh, it's no mean thing to submit to this husband um, and we're also going to have an extended question time at night church um, afterwards so we'll have some questions in the, in the talk um, then we'll, we'll break people can uh, stay and chat if they want to, or they can come and join us. We'll have, uh, and we're going to have Ian and Naomi Lawson um, on hand as well to come and give their thoughts on parenting and on marriage and on work. Um, and also, Ian is um, highly involved in the music ministry around St Paul's. And one of the things that this passage is going to touch on briefly is um, is our is it sort of music and singing and that kind of stuff as well. So. Come and pick his brains and Naomi's brains and Soph's brains. Yeah, um, yeah it'll be a, a valuable, valuable time, I think. So read Colossians 3 this week um, and come along this Sunday. We'd love to see you. Sam, thanks for your time. Everyone, thanks for your questions. That's the extras for this week. See you soon. Bye.